0: Receive a faith boost as you join us for Abounding Grace. If there's anything that will build your faith and trust in the living God, it is having a healthy understanding of His power or His sovereign control. That God is sovereign, and He does as He wills, and we do well to submit to Him and surrender to Him.
1: This is amazing grace. This is amazing You've probably had some wild dreams in your day, but the one we'll look at today on Abounding Grace is a real doozy. And unlike any other, Daniel receives some amazing prophetic visions that would reveal the future near and far. Much of it has already been fulfilled, but some will be, perhaps very soon. Pastor Ed Taylor is with me now. And Ed, as we open Daniel chapter seven, we're entering into a new section of the book that is prophetic.
0: Would you explain that? Well, up to this point, Larry, we have had nineteen studies in the Book of Daniel, verse by verse. And by the way, that is the method. I know many of you that listening to Bounty Grace already know that. But for those of you that are new or maybe unfamiliar, the methodology that we have chosen, that we have been taught and discipled in teaching the Bible and pastoring a church, is to go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. And that that means you get the whole Bible to develop and disciple the whole person. You get the whole gospel. And we talk about things in the context that God gave them in his word. It's taken us 19 studies now to get to chapter 7. And you're right, there's a big transition going on from chapter 7 now to the end in chapter 12. In the first six chapters, uh, they dealt primarily with the personal life of Daniel and are more narrative. They give the directive. They give, they're give. they very descriptive. And we learned about the personal purity and power of the man, Daniel. Moving now on from chapter 7 into chapter 12, they're going to deal with world history and are more prophetic. And most of it, when Daniel was writing, this is so amazing, most of it, while Daniel was writing it, was still yet future. But for us now... Some of it is still yet future, like the 70th week of Daniel in chapter 9. you got to stick around for that. But some of it is still yet future, but most of it we can look back and see with amazing 100% accuracy the prophecies coming to pass. It's so amazing. So put on your seatbelt for the second half of the book as we deal with world history. Uh, It may be good for you to re-listen to these on our podcast or our website and take notes. And Daniel, as I've shared, is one of the most important, if not the key to prophecy in all the Bible. So we should study it and know it. Let's go. That is very helpful. So with that as a backdrop, let's dig in today's study with Pastor Ed. Daniel chapter 7 in a Bible study that I've entitled Another Wild Dream. And I'll be reading to you from the New Living Translation. As we find in verse 1, earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. So many ways in life we see things and process things differently than God does. We are so quickly to see the sickness when God sees the healing. And it's so fast for us to focus in on our troubles when God sees the triumph. And it's so easy to see the tribulation and get buried under the weight of tribulation while God sees the training and the purpose in it all. Man sees the power and the prestige and the permanence of this world while God all the while knows that it's temporary. We have this tendency to put our roots down, to want to make a name for ourselves. Even within a spiritual realm, there are men and women that want to build their own kingdoms. They want to focus on themselves. When God recognizes that the things of men are not very powerful and not very prestigious. Jesus really said it best in Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. It's, it's the ultimate observation. He says, Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Now, we probably memorized that. You must deny yourself. But you need to give up your own way. Lay aside your own agenda and learn to take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, Jesus says, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And that's an important, is anything worth more than your soul? Yes or no? No. No. And yet the value of things have a tendency to overwhelm how we even value our own souls, let alone the souls of others. And in the truest sense of the word, life is only found in Jesus. Jesus declared to us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And in its real technical full definition Jesus alone is the life giver but he's life in and of itself and as we learn you can jot it down in Isaiah 55 around verse 8 or so where we learn that God's ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts and it would do us well to gain the thoughts and the perspective of God because his thoughts are so different than ours in the human realm. So when we come to these dreams here, in chapter seven, we have Daniel's dream. We have to go back a few chapters to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Because the dreams are about the same thing, but they're very different perspectives. Different dreams, same thing. In Daniel chapter two, you'll recall Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of the coming empires. It was this great image the king saw. It was actually a peak as we learned, into the future history as coming world kingdoms would emerge and fall. And what a dream it was. It started out with the fine gold. The head made of fine gold, which represented the Babylonian kingdom. And then in that great image, the chest and the arms were of silver, speaking of the coming kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Then they had the belly and the thighs of bronze, which spoke of the coming Grecian empire one after another. Then there were the legs of iron, speaking of the coming Roman empire. And then finally there were the feet mixed with iron and clay, which speak to a time far in the future of a revived in times Roman empire, Roman type empire. That was man's perspective. That was fallen man's perspective. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. That's how he saw things. And of course, in that strong image that he erected and made everybody bow down to, that's when Daniel's friends refused to bow down. That's when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. In that image, the Babylonian empire representing King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylon was gold. It was fine. It was brilliant. It was of the best materials. Because that was Nebuchadnezzar's. That was his attitude. Man has a tendency, and I'm sure you've seen it in your own life, we have a tendency to elevate ourselves above others. It, the, the kingdom of God and the following of Jesus is so countercultural, Where he teaches us the way up is actually down. The, the way to prominence is through servanthood. Isn't that different than some of the seminars you've been to and some of the training they give you at work? The training they give you at work is better yourself and work hard and climb up and you'll do better and you'll make more and eventually you'll reach the top. But many people find that even after they reach the top, it's not what was promised. And it wasn't fulfilling. You reach the top of the pinnacle of whatever you were after and then you stand there and go, is this all that is? I spent my whole life chasing this? See, God's perspective is very different. Because in chapter 7, Daniel's dream covers the same territory but from a different perspective. Daniel's dream is given to him by God. And it's not of an image when it speaks of the coming kingdoms. It's a a dream filled with wild beasts. And it's as if God is saying for us in the book of Daniel and to Daniel and to the ruling kingdoms that God's perspective on things is the government of man is not gold and silver and precious stones. The kingdoms of men are beastly and wild and self-centered, taking advantage of people, not serving them. And we're entering into a new section of Daniel. In the first six chapters, we have the personal life of Daniel. And the study was more of a narrative in nature. And so we were able to read through and comment along the way. Now, starting in chapter 7, till the end of the book, we're going to be entering into the prophetic nature of Daniel. And we're going to look at world history and details and things that look far into the future. Most of it, as Daniel was writing it, was still future for him. But as we look back, we can see so much of it fulfilled. Daniel writing prophetic, it was prophetic for him. But now many years later, we can look back and see what Daniel predicted with such clarity and accuracy, so clear and so accurate, that Daniel is one of the books that the critics love to attack because it's such a powerful book of the prophetic power of God. And now from this chapter to the end, we'll have some of the most amazing prophetic visions in all of the Bible. Some have even called Daniel a little version of Revelation. It's filled with insights. And a study in Revelation and Daniel, they go together and if you want to study Revelation on your own, it wasn't too many years ago that we went through verse by verse through Revelation, and that's all available up on our app. And you can download it, take it with you, and study it together of the end times. A study of the end times will, and a study of prophecy, will do a few things. Number one, it will build your confidence and faith that what God says is true. And secondly, it will build in you an expectation that what hasn't happened yet that God said is true. And it will come to pass. There isn't one thing that God promised that hasn't come to pass. He has always kept his word. So it says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 7 earlier. Now those of you that read through the Bible, kind of like any other book, it seems to be read chronologically. But chapter 7 is a step backwards in time. Daniel, this is about 20 to 30 years earlier than the chapter we just read. Daniel's a lot younger in chapter 7. So chapter 7 isn't chronological in the book of Daniel. He's around 68, 70 years old when he dreams these things, and he wrote down his wild dream. And in this, he's emphasizing the unity of the revelation of God and the successive stages in how God gives his revelation dream predates some of what we already studied. You know, you can probably put this dream chronologically in the book of Daniel somewhere between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And the unity of the revelation of what's given to us, you see the comparison of this dream with the dream in chapter 2. And like I said, taking notes will be very helpful for you because I'm going to give you a lot of information that seals and ties the book together. In these dreams, both dreams have four symbols of kingdoms followed by the return of Messiah. Both dreams show a duality in the second kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. Both dreams show a tenfold division of that final end times kingdom. And the same interpretation is found for the ten horns, as you'll see in a moment in the Messiah's kingdom, that will destroy all previous kingdoms. But there is a difference. A careful study is you're introduced to a small or a little horn by the time we get to verse 8, the key person of the last kingdom who's known as the man of sin. He's known as the son of perdition. He's also known in the Bible as the coming prince. But most commonly, you know him as Mr. Antichrist. And he's mentioned here in verse 8. Under King Darius, another great world empire was established, and the head of gold is long gone, the breast and arms of silver is established, and the absolute monarchies replaced with the government of constitutional law of the Medes and the Persians. And we learned how De- Daniel was given a prominent place from kingdom to kingdom. Notice verse 2 now. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of the great sea. And Anytime you see the great sea or the sea might be capitalized, that's in reference to the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea. If you'd you like to write in your Bibles, you can write a little note there. So he's turning the surface of the great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Verse 3. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. And it was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, Get up, devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these, verse 6, of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. And it had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. And I watched as the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One, or the Ancient of Days, sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow. His hair was the purest wool. He sat on fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him and millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. Stay with me, verse 11. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching it till the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The three other beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now I just want to pause for a second before we go through the elements of the dream and just say this. You think you've had wild dreams. (laughs) You think you woke up with some crazy thing that you dreamt. Imagine Daniel receiving this and the things that he saw and the importance of having to write them down. I already mentioned that the sea, the great sea, is the Mediterranean. You can see that by referencing Revelation 17, uh, verses 1 and 15. And the great sea, the Mediterranean sea, has a picture and a type. It represents the nations of the world, the mass of humanity, primarily of the Gentile world and the Gentile nations. And the wind represents here God's power expressed in judgment using both heavenly and earthly forces from all directions to influence the nations as he wills. And it's interesting, too, as you study through the Scriptures, that of the 120 references of wind in the Bible, about 90 in the Old Testament, 30 in the New, well over half of them are related to events and ideas reflecting the sovereignty of God. If there's anything that will build your faith and trust in the living God, It is having a healthy understanding of his power or his sovereign control. That God is sovereign and he does as he wills. And we do well to submit to him and surrender to him. And so notice in beginning in verse 4, the first beast. The first beast was a lion and he had these eagle wings. This beast corresponds to the head of gold in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And it's interesting because in archaeological discoveries, the national symbol of Babylon was a winged lion. And here he has a picture in his dream of huge winged lions. And even the royal Babylonian palaces were guarded by these lions with wings. And it says here that her wings were pulled off and was lifted up from the earth. It has an interesting insight on what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he was caught up in his pride. Nebuchadnezzar, the lesson that he learned and the lesson that Belshazzar learned after him was that God is able to bring down the proud. And even as I've been having discussions with the team here, the pastors here in the last couple days, I couldn't help as I was talking to them about various things over the years, I couldn't help but remember in many ways, in little small ways, but in a, in a very large way, how God dealt with me in pride that was in my life. And I can speak, I I mean, I know I believe in the authority of the Bible, and in no way do I want to undermine the Bible's teaching. But by way of experience, I can assure you that God knows how to deal with pride in our lives. That even if you today, you know, maybe in your pride, think, well, I'm not, you know, one of the first signs of pride is that when someone points it out to you, and you you respond, I'm not prideful. Okay, You should receive. You know, if you got a lot of different people coming to talk to you, maybe people aren't talking to you and voiding you completely because they know you won't receive it. Pride in all its manifestations is a dangerous thing in the believer's relationship, in our relationship with God. And like Nebuchadnezzar, fortunately for me, it wasn't as dramatic as the experience of Nebuchadnezzar it wasn't as dramatic that God would need to bring the writing on the wall in my life. But certainly in a metaphorical way, we all see the writing on the wall. God wants our attention. He's attracted, God is, to humility. He loves to hang out with the humble. And he, the Bible says, resist the proud, but he's a giver of grace to the humble. And it's so encouraging to me. They learned. And, and if Today you're listening to me and this is a word of warning or you're like totally filled with pride today. So much so that you're mad at me for even mentioning it. Understand, God is able to bring down those who are proud. And when it comes to humbling yourself, there's two primary choices that you and I have. We can choose to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and the promise is that he'll lift us up or God will humble you. And they're both painful processes. That admission and repentance of the sin of pride is a difficult, painful process. Even in the, in the process of perhaps God ripping it out of you and showing it to you and seeing yourself in the mirror or the conviction of God's Word or family trying to rescue you. You know, it could even get so bad that the, your family sees it so much that they call an intervention on you and a surprise meeting to confront you with the issues in your life. It, it's painful. But it is far more painful when God humbles you and brings humility into your life. It's much better for us to choose that. If we won't walk in humility, then we will crawl like Nebuchadnezzar in humiliation. And just as Nebuchadnezzar became an animal for seven years, when we see this, there is this pulling off, this wrenching of the wings of the first beast that represents the Babylonian kingdom verse 5. The next thing that Daniel saw in his dream, the second beast was a bear and it had three ribs in its mouth. This corresponds to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar of the chest of arms chest and arms of silver. And the combination of the two formed a new ruling empire. Why are they described like a bear? Well, they had become very large and huge and massive with an army over two and a half million fighting men. And that was strong, but it was also slow and sluggish. And the three ribs speak of the three ruling empires they conquered on the way to rule, including Egypt, Lydia, and Babylon. And they did arise and each much, much flesh in their victories." The reference of being stronger on one side than on the other reflects the great strength of the Persians in the empire. And remember too that when Daniel had his dream, the Babylonian empire was still in existence. So it's possible that these nations, as Daniel was dreaming this, were less prominent than they became. It was in an earlier stage. We're
1: going through Daniel one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Before we part ways today, a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceradio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceradio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Calvary Aurora. Our featured resource is an excellent book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. You know, we all make mistakes and sin, and it's about that time we so often feel guilty and make a determination to try harder so it doesn't happen again. But there's another path you can take, one that actually works, and it's detailed for you in the grip of grace. God's grace, it's something we need not only to get into the family of God, but to live as we should. Request a copy of *In the Grip of Grace*. When you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more, you might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30 Grace. Again, our toll-free number 877-30 Grace. You may not realize this, but we are listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in what God is doing through Abounding Grace. You'll be helping people all across the nation and world become a man or woman that God can use. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study in Daniel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace.